So, uh, I grew up in the church, as I said last night, and uh, honestly, there just wasn't a lot happening in the church that I grew up in. I, I, I don't remember anybody getting healed. We talked about healing today. Even though in the Christian Missionary Alliance church that I grew up in, you know, one of our doctrinal statements was that Jesus Christ, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, coming King, no one ever got healed. Uh, I don't remember anybody, you know, with deliverance. We talked a little bit about spiritual healing, deliverance. That never happened in my church. Occasionally, missionaries would come in from Africa and talk about miracles, healing, deliverance, that kind of stuff, but it never happened in our church, you know. And I don't even remember anybody getting saved in my church growing up, except my dad when I was 11 years old. He was the only person I can remember coming to faith, and you know, I was an adult in my church. So church was really boring growing up. And my problem was I read the Bible. And the stuff that happened in the Bible didn't look at all like the stuff that wasn't happening in my church. I mean, it was pretty, pretty shabby. So uh, I, I never had much affinity for church until I got to be 17 years old, and then I started dating a girl from church. Church was still boring, but she was interesting. And so I dated her for a while, and then when I was 19, she broke up with me. And when she broke up with me, I drove away from her house, and I pulled off on a little dirt road in Pleasant Valley, New York, you know, and so pulled off on this dirt road on my way back to my house, and I just cried, really, for the first time in my life. And when I cried, I cried out to the Lord, uh, you know, as an adult, that is, you know, it's just the first time I ever did that. And I just, this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, I gave this girl my heart. Look what she did. And I heard for the first time in my life, the Lord speak to me. And what he said to me was, that's the same way you've treated me your whole life, which I thought was kind of a rude introduction, truly. I mean, said, Lord, be nice. I mean, I'm trying to cry out to you here. And so, but in that moment, what I actually saw was a picture in my head of Jesus standing there inviting me to come to him and me in sort of the distance in the picture going, you know, if I ever get enough time for you. And it pierced my heart. And I started weeping for repentance. And I prayed this prayer. Listen, I, I make a side comment. You know, we've been talking a little bit about access last night, and here's a side comment. Sometimes the only way God can get access is to pierce your heart, and you need to welcome the piercing. And I just, I said to the Lord, I said, from now on, you lead, I follow, you've got me, I'm yours. And what happened next can only be described in mystical terms. But then if you're talking about a relationship with a supernatural being, there has to be a bit of mystical to have relationship with an unseen, supernatural, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful being that's going to have a little mystery. But what it felt like was it felt like heaven opened up and the love of God got poured out into my heart like a fire hose. And I mean, it was a visceral sensation, and it was overwhelming. I mean, staggering. Listen, it was so overwhelming. The next day, I was a college student at the time. I was working part-time in a Burger King, you know, sort of working my way through college. The next day, I went into the workplace. There was one other girl in the workplace my age who uh, was a Christian, and she looked at me. I didn't say a word. I walked into the kitchen, and when she saw me across the room, she looked at me, and she said, you had a supernatural encounter with God. My face had been so different. I told the story about Raul this afternoon and his countenance. When you encounter the living God, something shifts. 
And uh, man, it was so powerful. And, and, and I had no idea what that experience was. I didn't have any biblical language for it. I had never heard anybody else talk about it until I went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, I was sitting in a class. Martin wasn't down there yet, and, and Terry Wardle was the professor. And Terry was talking about the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. And when he described it, I went, that's what happened to me at 19. No one else had ever been able to explain it to me, and I went, okay, now I get it. But here was a weird after effect. I had never told anybody about Jesus growing up. My friends were mostly Catholic. I grew up in upstate New York, too, you know, in Poughkeepsie area. I, I grew up in Hyde Park, New York, and, and 68%, probably two-thirds of my friends were Catholic. And so, you know, I can remember sitting around the cafeteria in high school and all the kids around me, all my friends going, you know, we're going to CCD, we're learning this, and they're talking about CCD. And all of a sudden, they'd all look to me, and one of them would go, you're not Catholic, what do you do? And like 20 sets of eyes were on me. And I can remember turning beet red, being completely embarrassed to talk about Jesus. I'd never talked to my friends about Jesus. After this encounter with the Holy Spirit, I started calling them up one by one and doing appointments with them to tell them about Christ. Listen, I didn't have a course on evangelism. Nobody told me I was supposed to do it. I didn't do it because I felt obligated. I didn't do it because I felt guilty. I did it because I could not shut up about Jesus because I had fallen in love with him. And when you're passionate about someone, you want to talk to them about them. How many of you are grandparents? How many of you sicken people with your grandchildren's pictures and conversation about your grandchildren? Okay, let's be honest. Let's have a confessional moment. Uh, Martin's a new grandparent, and he's not too bad about this. Ron, on the other hand, wow. And so this is what it was like for me. So what I want to talk about tonight is how Jesus wants to fill us with the Spirit. But I want you to get this point because this is really, 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 really important. Hear me, many, many people come after Jesus for the filling of the Spirit so that they will feel better. Jesus does not want to fill you with his Spirit so you feel good. Jesus wants to fill you with his Spirit so you will be empowered for his kingdom mission around the planet. That's different. And if you come to him to feel good, eh, you might get some. But if you come to him for the empowerment of the Spirit, for the kingdom activity of God on the planet, to the glory of the King, you got a pretty good shot. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Hang on. We're live. We have to... I have to get out of here pretty fair time tomorrow because tomorrow night I have a, a very intentional um, mentoring uh, group that's actually called Developmental Mentoring. I contracted with 31 people, 10 sessions. And I said, my job is not to make you feel better. My job is to make you better. So you've got 10 sessions. Um, most of you will cry and or be humiliated because you're almost ready to launch into some of the next level of your life, faith, ministry. 
and for some reason you have excused or let things slide. So here we go. So it's session number two tomorrow night. I assumed a bunch would drop out, which is why I have 31. I, I invited widely, assuming not all of them would come, and then immediately a bunch of them would drop out. But everybody came, and no one's dropping out yet. Because they know that he knows. And if they're ever going to be the kind of people they said they dreamed of being, this is their lifeline to the next level. And so we're going to go after this. By the way, both testaments use the phrase, with all your heart. Yeah. Yeah. All of you. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at two passages in the book of Acts that really describe sort of the uh, manifestations or symptoms or evidences that you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit. Hear me. I don't care that you had an experience 20 years ago. I care that you're currently walking in the empowering fullness of the Spirit. That's what we're after. So let me give you the three signs that Jesus himself lays out. Start with me in Acts chapter 1, and you start at verse 4, 5, and 8. Jesus speaking. He's about ready to ascend to heaven. He's already risen, and he says to his disciples, wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the image they have is a baptism. Well, John had taken them down to the Jordan River and completely immersed them in the water. And when they came out of the water, they were literally dripping with water. And that's the only image they have about this concept of being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. So all they know is they're about to get immersed, drenched, soaked, saturated in the presence of God. That's all they know. Okay? And then he says this is what will happen as a result. Here's the resultant of being filled with the Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Hear me, these are when, then statements. When you're filled with the Spirit, then you will have power. So if you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be power. And we'll talk about that one. Second, he says, you, when you're receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. It's a byproduct of walking in the current fullness. And the last one has to do with prophecy, which comes in Acts 2, and I'll look at that verse later. But let's talk about these, these three things. First, let's talk about power. When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. People who are walking in the current fullness should see power in their lives. By the way, this is exactly what happens if you read the book of Acts, isn't it? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Immediately, Peter starts preaching. This is the same Peter that just a couple weeks earlier backed down to a slave girl. This time, stands up in front of a crowd of people and says, you crucified the author of life. And 3,000 men come to faith in Christ in this moment. That's significant power. His words have carried a new weightiness that they never carried before. It is a direct result of this new filling with the Spirit that he's just encountered. You go to Acts chapter 3, very next chapter. Peter and John walking into the temple one day, right? And there's a beggar. He's, he's 
the lame and laying on the floor there, and he's begging. And Peter looks at him. He says, listen, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. Only he doesn't just speak the words. While he's saying it, the text says he reaches down, grabs the guy by the hand, and pulls him to his feet. I'm always humored by Scripture because I think, imagine if the guy didn't get up. Like he's dragging him across the floor, you know? I mean, it's an embarrassing moment, which leads me to say this. All power involves risk. There's always risk. Your next level with God lies beyond the boundaries of your current experience. And the only way you can get there is to risk more than you're comfortable with. Tell you a quick story. I had a woman come to see me one day. She's a Muslim doctor. And she would come to my church periodically in the beginning. You know, like every, say, six to eight weeks. Her husband had come from a Southern Baptist background down south, and, and they had gotten married. Neither one of them, obviously, you know, was walking with the Lord. He probably knew the Lord at the time. She clearly didn't. She was Muslim. So they put their, you know, marriage together in this different diverse cultures and religion and all this stuff, and, and now they move up here to the north, and he decides he's going to come to church, so he starts coming to church, and every once in a while, she'd come with him. So I knew her by name. I knew she was a, a gynecologist professionally. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about her, but that was it. So one day, I get this strange phone call. She calls me up, and she says to me, um, would you meet with me? I said, sure. Be happy to meet with you, Angela. And so we set an appointment. She comes into the office, and she walks in. Her opening sentence to me is, you're probably wondering why I want to meet with you. I said, the thought did cross my mind, yeah. I said, so help me understand. She said to me, well, she said, I'm wrestling with anxiety. And she said, I'm a medical doctor. I know it's not medical. And I thought you could help me. And I said to her, Well, that's intriguing to me. I said, help me understand. I said, again, I get you're a medical doctor. You could have gone to medical professionals. You could have gone to counselors. I mean, you have lots of resource people around you. Uh, She said, no, I know it's not medical. I said, okay, but I said, "You, you are also Muslim. You could have gone to people of your own faith. Why did you come to me? And she said to me, well, to be honest, she said, the only time I feel peace is when I'm sitting listening to you preach. I said to her, do you know why? We all feel that way, Rob. I said, do you know why? She said, "Um, I suppose you're going to tell me it has something to do with Jesus. I said, yeah, well, that'd be a Sunday school answer. That's true. But I said, you could sit under lots of people preaching and not feel peace. I said, there's something more. I said, I've had anxiety in my life, and he's delivered me from it. And I said, what you're experiencing is the victory that I've experienced. As I preach, you're picking up on my victory. And she went, that makes sense to me. I said to her, well, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. She said, I knew you would. So I reach out my hand, and I lay my hand on her with her permission. And all I pray, this was it. There's a totality of my prayer. We mentioned short prayers. Here's my prayer. Now, Jesus, let your peace rest upon her. That was it. And then I waited. And as I waited, I entered the presence of Jesus, and I literally physically watched the peace of Christ descend upon her body. 
Her heart slowed down like when I saw her when she was sitting there. Her heart was beating. You could see it beating through her chest, you know, through her shirt. And all of a sudden, she just stops, slows down, normal heart rate. Her body relaxed, you know, and she just, you could feel it. She could feel it. She said to me, about a month later, texted me and said to me, I have not felt anxiety since you've prayed for me, and I know it's Jesus. Listen, you know what I'd love to tell you is then she came to faith in Christ that day. Truth is, she stopped coming to church. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that one, right? But she did. She stopped coming. She came once in, you know, every four months or something like that. And so I hardly saw her at all. But then one day, she ended up in a crisis again. She calls me up on the phone. She said, hey, can you meet with me? I said, sure, be happy to meet with you. I met with her, prayed with her. God met her again. She still didn't come to church. Six months later, she calls me up again, says, hey, I'm struggling again. Can you meet with me? I said, sure, meet with you. And so then God met her again, third time. And this time she starts coming to church. Over time, she starts coming. She's there almost every week. Finally, one day, she calls me up on the phone again. She said to me, hey, would you come in and meet me again? I'm, I'm at the office, and I can't get out. Would you meet me at the office? I said, sure. So I come into her office, and I pray with her again. God meets her a fourth time, and this time after, she looks at me, and she says, I'm ready. And just to be sure, I'm like, ready for what? And she's like, I'm ready to trust Christ. She said, you know, I guess, she said, since the moment you prayed for me, I knew Jesus was real. But she said, given my Muslim background, I was afraid my family would reject me because she said, but now, she said, it just doesn't matter. She trusted Christ, prayed one of the most beautiful, sincere sinner's prayers I've ever heard. And I prayed with her, and the Holy Spirit came upon her yet another time. She walks with God today. She's a lovely, lovely lady. But listen, that lady came to faith only because of the power of God displayed in her life. I want to make a statement that's really important in our day and age. We live in a syncretistic, pluralistic society. What that means is there's people choosing from all different kinds of deities out there, and we choose a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. In a syncretistic, pluralistic society, all deities are considered equal, and only the unequal display of Jesus' power will convince people of the supremacy of Christ. What is going to convince people in this day and age is the things that convince people in Ephesus and the things that convince people in Corinth. We need power demonstrated again to see conversions like they did in our society. You want to add anything? Let's do it after I tell this story. Second one, after I tell this second point. You are walking in the current fullness of the Spirit. There's witness. Um, you'll receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, continuing his thought, you will be my witnesses. All the witnesses is you're, you're giving evidence of what you've experienced. So think about, for example, you go out here tonight, and in the snow there's an accident, and you're a witness. What do you do? You tell what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. That's all a witness does. So here's the concept of a witness in the New Testament. You have to have a current experience with Jesus that is real, personal, and transformative. When you have a real, personal, transformative experience with Jesus, you have a shot to be a witness. 
That's all a witness is, okay? And when we're walking in the current, present fullness of the Spirit, we both have the desire and the ability to witness because we have a story to tell. Two witness stories, first one from me, then one from Martin. When I get on a plane, often this is what I do. I pray this prayer. And again, it's the kingdom prayer. I sit down on my seat, and there's usually somebody sitting next to me. And it's, unless my wife has taken the trip with me, it's someone I don't know. And I pray this prayer, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person sitting next to me today? Listen, if the Lord says yes, I am in for a divine appointment every time. And if he says no, I won't waste my time. I'll read a book or I'll grade papers or something, okay? And so I'm on a plane from Chicago to Providence, and I was living in Boston a few years back, and I pray this prayer. There's a businesswoman sitting next to me on the train, very dressed appropriately, business attire, you know, probably my age-ish, and, uh, you know, at the time in our 40s, and I looked I look at this lady sitting next to me, and I pray this prayer. Lord, do you want me to talk to this lady? Very clear. Holy Spirit says, yes. So I do what I do in those circumstances. I reach out my hand. I said to her, my name's Rob. What's your name? She tells me her name. I said, where are you headed? She goes, I'm headed to Providence. I said, is that where you live? She goes, no, I'm going there. I'm business. I said to her, oh, okay. Now I'm just shooting the breeze with her. Hear me. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the divine intersection point of where Jesus' work in my life intersects the needed work of Jesus in her life. That's where the witness point comes, okay? That's all I'm looking for. So I said to her, I said, uh, uh, do you have family? She says, yeah. And I said, uh, married? She goes, uh-huh. And I said, how long have you been married? She tells me 20 years or whatever. And I said, you got kids? She said, yeah, two boys. And I make this statement. I'm just shooting the breeze looking for the divine intersection point. I made this statement, just shooting the breeze. And I said to her, there's nothing I've ever wanted to succeed more at than parenting and felt ill-equipped to succeed in than parenting. And she starts to cry. Oh, see now, because I have discernment, I know I'm hitting on this moment. And I looked at her and I said to her, uh, I said, you have no idea the human heart's capacity to love until you have children of your own, do you? And the tears are streaming down her face. And I said to her, I'm going to take a wild guess that you have some kid pain that you're dealing with right now. And she nods. I said, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. She had a kid who was on the streets. She lived in Chicago. She was out to Providence for business. And she had a kid that was living on the streets who had run away from home who had a heroin addiction. She wasn't sure if the kid was going to make it or if he would die. Every night she lived with this terror. And she's sharing her story and she's crying and I'm looking for tissues and can't find them. The stewardess brought us tissues, you know, and she has no idea what's going on. And and after she told this story, I, I told her my story. I have one of my children who unfortunately suffered some, uh, some difficult things through high school or junior high and high school, beginning of those years. And when that happened, she started acting out, which happens when people suffer. They ten times then try to act out, and so she acted out. And she was doing things that were hurtful to herself. And I... I I'm telling you, it was incredibly intense. If you've had a kid live in rebellion and you've watched them play with things that could deeply harm them, you know the pain of a parent's heart. And you don't have judgment for other parents. You have mercy because bad stuff happens in this world. And I'm telling you, 
When I went through that season, one morning I woke up, and I told this lady this story. One morning I woke up, and I felt grief. And it wasn't my grief. And I knew it wasn't my grief. And I said to the Lord, what is that? And he said to me, I am grieving in you for your daughter. And I went, uh-oh, why? And he said to me, she has a secret. Well, I waited for my daughter to come home. She came home from school, and I went upstairs and followed her up into her room, and I said to her, sweetheart, I said, you had a weird experience this morning. I woke up, and I felt grief in my heart, and uh, the Lord told me he, it was him grieving in me for you. And I said to her, he told me you have a secret. I said, do you want to tell me what it is, or do you want him to tell me? And some of you think it was a threat, but you're actually wrong. It wasn't a threat. I'll tell you what it was. I was giving her an opportunity to pass the honesty test. See, no one can pass the honesty test for you. You will either pass or fail on your own. And what I knew was if she was ever going to give God access in her life, she had to get to the place where she passed the honesty test and gave him space. You know what? He could have told me the information. I didn't ask him for it. I was waiting for her. She looked at me, and she goes, Dad, you know what it is, don't you? I said to her, I might, but that's not the point. This is your test to pass, not mine. I said, so you need to tell me. And she did. She, she, she told me. And you know what? We went through that three or four times over the next several months. But I want you to hear me. This kid is now walking with honesty with God because of those encounters. And I want you to hear this. When I told this lady these encounters I had, what I was telling her is the place where Jesus has met me as a parent in her desperate need to have God's help as a parent. I ended up praying with her. It was a powerful conversation. See, this is what it means to be a witness. And when you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, you got Jesus' activity in your life, and you have a shot at being a witness to others. So many of these are simply relational conversations, your life and theirs. Again, where, where does it intersect? Um, for as long as I can remember, and it happened again at Thanksgiving, my kids, although young adults, say to me, Dad, people ask all the time what you do. I don't know what to say. And I said, look, you know what I do. I run a doctor program. Said, yeah, but you, you do all this other stuff. So it's true. So whenever I'm on a plane or someplace else and someone says, what do you do? I always decide what kind of conversation do I want exactly. to have. Exactly. So sometimes I'm a, I run a doctoral program in New York, and that's always intriguing to them. And then other times I'm a researcher, and I ask them a very direct question and say, my interview you, uh, that's always fun. When the plane's really full and I'm on the, the aisle, um, they ask what I do, and I give them a big smile and say, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> no one wants to sit by the big evangelist guy. You can watch them. They start looking around like, where can, I, where can I move to? I've actually had people get up and move. They climb over me and move. Uh, I'm just great. having fun with them. <laughs> well, it was a little over two years ago. I was on a plane. And uh, last minute, got a complimentary upgrade to first class. Always like those. Amen. And I walked up, and there was a guy there who was standing up. He, would, he refused to sit down. Now, this was a late Friday afternoon. He was still perfectly pressed. His haircut probably cost more than my entire wardrobe for the day. Everything about him communicated, I want you to think I'm impressive in some way. 
So I just noticed him, and I was on the inside, so I sat down. He wouldn't sit down. Finally, the flight attendant came and said, either you sit down or we will escort you off. We've closed the door. You have to sit down. And he sat down. He was really nervous, like really shaky. And I thought, I don't know if he's a nervous flyer or if he's just snorted something up his nose. I don't know. And so we sit down, and he strikes up a conversation. But he's sitting here like this. And uh, you know, he goes, are you off on some adventure? Are you headed home? I'm headed home. And then he asks another question. I don't remember what it was. Normally, I'm very careful about what I say because I want to take this conversation in a very clear direction. And he said, he asked a question, and I have no idea what I said. And he goes, wait a minute. Are you one of those born-again types? And I looked at him, smiled, and I said, what I say next is going to make a world of difference where this conversation goes. He goes, ooh, big religious guy. I said, mate, you have no idea how good I am at this. And he said, okay, big boy, before you start, you need to know, I'm a pretty darn good guy. And I said, what the hell does a pretty darn good guy mean? So he starts into his rendition of the Ten Commandments. I wish I was videotaping. This thing was hilarious. He was like making up stuff as he went along. And then he gets to this one. He goes, and that adultery thing? I do pretty darn good there. Okay, one more time. What the hell is pretty darn good at that adultery thing mean? I said, wait, before you say anything else, I just have one question. Besides a female physician or your wife, how many, in the last three years, how many other women have seen your penis? Women, I do not recommend this is your approach. <laughs> Please, this is, not, this is not your approach. And his eyes are darting every place, and he's not saying a word. And I said, you already answered. Don't lie to me. He goes, well, you got me with that one. I said, buddy, I warned you I was good. Because yeah, you tripped me up with this one. I said, if we keep going, I'll just trip you up. Because you're not that good, and I'm really good. I said, let me ask one more question, just one. What if your wife was doing equally pretty darn good, and her number was three, like yours? Do you think she's doing pretty darn good? Let's get one thing straight. You're not a good guy. You're lying to yourself. Now, let's have a real conversation about the kind of man you actually are. And he looks at me and he goes, you won. Let's have the conversation. And we did. Exchange cards, cell numbers. Got a text from his wife two days later. She goes, can we talk? And here was her first question. How did you know? How did you know it was both of us? I didn't. We began a conversation. I actually looped a flight twice to see him. And it was a year and a half ago. It was um, 2.45, Easter Sunday afternoon. I get a text. Martin, we're in. You just tell what you have. You talk like a real person. You intersect your life with theirs. Talk about what's real and true and honest. I don't recommend this approach. It works for me. It shouldn't work for almost anybody else on the planet.
<laughs> but this sort of direct, semi-jerky thing works for me. <laughs> At least in my head, it works. <laughs> but it's amazing, particularly with men and particularly with tough executive types. Just the straightforward conversation. So another one is guys tell me they have uh, intellectual issues with believing in Jesus. Okay, I said, I qualify as an intellectual. Give me your best shot. Well, they sound like kindergartners. They got nothing. I go, seriously? Seriously? You're going to miss heaven for this one? Come on, dude. Give me your best one. And so they do. And I said, here's what the issue is. This is, this is not intellectual. That's a heart issue, mate. You are scared to death to give control of your life over and trust the God of your soul. Now let's talk about the little boy fears. Don't, don't give me the smokescreen of intellectualism. You're not that smart. Let's go here. Completely different conversations. Now, most of you don't want to do that with Ivy League grads. But for me, it's fun. Use whatever it is you have. Yeah. Authentically, human, relationally, not religious, not to trip them up, not to win over, but just what's, what's in your own life. It's a witness. Your life intersecting with the best of God, intersecting with them. Yeah, and that's really what it is, is a witness. So, for example, if Jesus has helped you overcome anxiety, you're a witness. If Jesus has helped you overcome shame, you're a witness. Jesus has helped you experience forgiveness. You're a witness. Jesus has broken bitterness in your life. You're a witness. Wherever Jesus has met you, that is the place where you have a platform to tell others. See, you got to understand, no one's ever going to dispute your story. They may dispute your logic. They may argue with your reasoning around why you believe, but they'll never argue with your story. You're not going to sit down and tell me your story, and I'm going to look at you and go, come on, that's not true. They're not going to do that. So this is why when we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit and His activity is real in our lives and current in our lives, we have an opportunity to be a witness. Third thing, when we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, not only is there power, not only is there witness, but there's prophecy. We're hearing God's voice. And in this case, go back to the conversation we had this morning, specifically for witness, for telling others. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, once again, in the last days, which includes us, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, for us, what this fundamentally means is we need to learn how to hear God's voice and walk humbly with the Spirit, sensitively to the Spirit, but specifically for witness. Listen, the Holy Spirit is going to direct you to people, and He's going to direct you with what to say because He's more concerned about reaching them than you are. Again, I'm on a plane. This happened now, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. I was on a couple of years ago, anyways. I was on a plane, and this one, I was, I was headed to Erie, Pennsylvania. It was a Sunday. I was leaving Boston. I had to go through Cleveland. I had already done three services. I was really tired, and I'm just wanting to get 
to Erie, Pennsylvania, get to bed. I have 21 talks to give in the next five days. And I'm just like, God, I need to get to bed. And it's 11.30 at night in Cleveland, and I'm waiting for my plane to arrive. There's no flight crew. There's no counter person. There's no plane. There's nothing but, except a bunch of angry passengers who are waiting for the same thing I'm waiting for. And I'm sitting there, and I mean, people are getting ripping mad. There's a lot of language flinging around there that doesn't sound like most churches. And I'm sitting there, and I, I, I'm just going, Lord, I just need to, I'm just going to rent a car. I'm just going to drive. It's not that far from freaking lousy Cleveland to crappy eerie Pennsylvania. I'll just rent a car and go on my own. And while I'm thinking this thought, I look up and there's this lady and she's got to be close to 70. And she's dressed as neat as a pin, looks like a church lady, only every other word out of her mouth is the F-bomb. I mean, she is dropping F-bombs like it's the word the. And I'm telling you, man, she's got a mouth like a saltwater crocodile. She's dropping F-bombs all over the place. And I look over at this lady and I put my head down and I'm like, okay, God, please, it's time for us to leave now. And I hear the Holy Spirit right in the middle of this little rant I'm having. And he says to me, I want you to talk to the swearing old lady. I'm like, anybody, anybody but the swearing old lady. Come on, Lord, have mercy. It's 1130 at night. I'm already tired. I got 21 talks to give in five days. I don't want to talk to her. And right when I say that, out, you know, not out loud, she walks over and sits down and plops her butt down right next to me. I'm like, oh, ha ha, you're so funny. Ah, all right, I'll talk to the swearing old lady. So I reached my hand over and I said to her, my name's Rob. What's your name? She goes, Barbara. I said to her, Barbara, where are you headed? She goes, blank, blank, Erie, Pennsylvania. I said, that's how I feel about it too tonight, Barbara. I'm right with you. I said to her, is that where you're, you're, you, know, you live? And she said, yeah, and I have a business there, which surprised me because I thought she's too old to have a business. I figured she was retired. And I said, oh, I said, really, what do you do? And so she tells me what her business is. And after she tells me, she asks the reciprocal question, what do you do for a living? Well, again, along with Martin, I'm pretty careful with how I answer that question. And I do a lot of interesting things for a, a living. You know, I teach in the doctoral program. I'm an author. I, I, I speak in conferences. I mean, if I want to keep a conversation going, I can keep it going. But I thought, God, you got me into this conversation. If you really want me to have it, you need to get me out of it. She's been dropping the F-bomb. I'm going to drop the M-bomb. So I'm like, I'm a minister. Boom, take that, right? And don't you know, she looks at me and she goes, oh, she goes, my father was a Methodist minister, she goes. I'm like, yeah, that's where you learned how to swear like that. I didn't say it, but I did think it. No offense to the Methodists. Well, maybe a little. So anyhow, she, she then, right then, literally, the flight crew sweeps in, right? And so they're all like, they, it was unbelievable. They didn't even take your tickets. They go, oh, everybody on the plane, and we'll take your tickets on the plane. Never seen anything like it, but they were really late. And so they, they brought us in. It was a little puddle jumper. And so we go all on the plane. You know, we grab our tickets. We move on to the plane. And I, I sit down, and come on, who's sitting right next to me, right? The swearing old bag. She sits down right next to me. She plops her butt down right next to me once again. I'm like, you are really funny, funny, really funny. And so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the guy flops on the plane. The stewardess comes by, and she gathers tickets. And, and this lady leans over, grabs my arm, and she says to me, I'm dying of cancer. Can you pray for me? I said to her, Barbara, the plane's really loud. You know, it's a propeller job. And I said, uh, why don't we wait till we get to the airport in Erie and I'll pray for you there? She said, okay. 
I'm telling you, it was about a 20-minute flight. It was just enough time to repent. And uh, I, you know, sort of prayed my way through the, the flight, and we get there in Erie, Pennsylvania, and it's, you know, now this time about 1230 at night or something. And we get out, and her husband is there. His name was Jim. She introduces me to her husband, Jim. She said, Jim, I met this nice young minister. I love old people because they still think I'm young, 52, you know. And she pats my arm, you know. I said to him, Jim, I said, your, your wife told me she has cancer. I said, can I pray for you? He starts crying. She starts crying. We held hands right in the middle of the airport, 1, 1 o'clock, 12.30, whatever it was in, in, the, in the morning. And uh, we're holding hands in the middle of the airport, Erie, Pennsylvania. I prayed for him. When I finished praying for him, she reached out and gave me a hug. And she whispered in my ear. She said, I had given up on faith, and tonight God sent me you. Listen to me. When you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power. When you are walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's witness. So much to talk about. When you're walking in the daily, current, active role of the Spirit in your life, there's prophecy. You hear His voice. And He'll lead you to people. You'll have divine appointments littering your life. The problem is sometimes what happens is we started our journey and there was power. There was witness. There was prophecy. There was activity of the Spirit. But someplace along the way, you know what happened? We got out of the river. And we need a fresh filling. And if you're here tonight and you just need more of God, you need a fresh filling of the Spirit. We just want you to stand right where you are this evening. We're going to pray for you, but we want you to stand up right where you are. I want you simply to stand there in a posture ready to receive. I want you to put your eyes on Jesus. It's all about Him. All the rest of us got nothing. Just look to Him right now. Mark and I are actually going to come by and just lay hands on people. We don't have any magic. Just look to Jesus. And we'll come and pray, and they're going to play some music quietly in the background as we're praying, and, and uh, just put it down low, guys, and we're going to come and pray for people. If you are walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, you're welcome to join us on the prayer team if you want to. evidences that people most often report after being filled with the Spirit. They feel full, they feel free, and they often report the sense of newfound fun. Now forgive me, but the fun quotient could go up a little here. I'm just saying. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask a worship team to crank it up a little, um, which means you can too. So celebrate, pull out your best dance moves, or as Pastor Nathan would say, go ahead and shake what your mama gave you. 
Um, some of you may want to do something different. Now, your chairs fold, but some of you may actually want to stand on them and wave your arms. Just turn to the person behind you and let them know if, if you actually need a spotter or a potential catcher. Let's have a little fun. It is called New Life. So come on. So, Dawn and gentlemen, let's crank this up. Come on.